I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Bleeding on the Page. The story we're about to listen to is Tony Blair's First Day in Hell, written by George Pritchard and performed by Samuel Jones, Ollie McCauley and Max Bardsley, with additional sound design by Ollie McCauley also. Anthony Charles Linton Blair recoiled in horror as he looked upon the horrendous view laid out before him. Thick, sulfurous fumes and billowing violent fires smouldered and encircled him. The very fabric of the atmosphere vibrated with a harrowed energy. Though he appeared to stand on solid ground and perceive a demonic landscape as far as his eyes would take him, this dimension ultimately lacked form, circumference and centre. No order here, just chaos and screams. Where am I? What is this place? cried the former PM. Come on now, Tony. Blair spun round to meet a shrill and well-spoken voice from behind. Through the putrid gas, a figure began to emerge, a woman, well-postured and confident in her stride. Around her head ran a mane of wavering hair like the fires that enveloped them. The figure stepped out from the haze to meet his whimpering gaze with blue, piercing eyes. Blair recognised her stern glare, her thin smile, He had known this woman in another time, another place. Don't ask questions you already know the answer to, quipped Margaret Thatcher like a scolding mother superior. Blair turned his gaze to the dreadful vista once more and sunk to his knees. Oh, bloody hell. Precisely, said Thatcher, pulling him by his collar to his feet with surprising strength. Blair's despair was compounded with confusion. I don't understand, Margaret. I cut crime and youth unemployment, facilitated massive record growth and child numeracy, the National Minimum Wage Act, free fruit for most four to six-year-olds. What more could I have done? Do I really need to spell it out for you, Tony? Blair sighed. What little light remained in his eyes suddenly dimmed, and a weary expression that had haunted him in his later years moved across his sullen face. You're talking about Iraq, aren't you? Yes, Tony, of course I am. Though there was Afghanistan as well, wasn't there? And Kosovo and Sierra Leone. (laughs) Come to think of it, you were quite the crusader. Blair's heart grew heavier still. A feeling stirred deep within him. A feeling he had often suppressed in his post-ministerial career. Remorse. Blair had always surrounded himself with supporters, friends and allies, which acted to his conscience as a buffer against unwanted criticism of his government's thundering scramble for war in its aftermath. After his ten-year reign as Prime Minister had come to an end, he had worked hard to distract himself with indemnified and yet somewhat menial work, such as senior advisor at J.P. Morgan Chase, or using his devilish charms to deliver lectures for hundreds of thousands of dollars. But in the smouldering void, these thoughts were difficult to censor. 
and so all his doubts and reflections were once again restored. Nevertheless, Blair steeled himself. You're right. I was a crusader. I acted in good faith. I was only trying to make the world a better place. The road to hell is paved with good intentions, Tony. Didn't you notice on your way in? Blair was seized by boundless anguish at this cruel quip, but his frustrations were dispelled by an immense screaming entity that soared overhead spewing teeth and hot embers in its wake. See, we're not too different, you and I, Tony, continued Thatcher circling him as he sat recovering on the floor. We were a different sort of politician. Reformers, visionaries, the last of our kind. We had ideas, Tony, and we acted on them. England's future was recast in our wake. Don't you mean Britain's Don't interrupt me! Where was I? Ah, yes, and of course we both informally declared war on third world countries to varying degrees of success. In my weaker moments, I sometimes questioned my decision to send 255 men to their deaths for some rocks in the middle of nowhere. But even in the face of infinite damnation, I'd do it again. Even the most liberal, C&D-touting, THC-ridden beatnik knows in his heart of hearts that we couldn't have just allowed those allergies to seize our land. I mean, what the hell were they thinking? I would have done the same. I said don't fucking interrupt me! The fact of the matter is, Tony, people liked that war. Even the people who say they don't. I certainly liked it. It set me up for two election victories, thereby allowing me to lay the foundation of a rational, free market-oriented legacy of leaders. Leaders like you, Tony. People commended me for my iron will. Every day I faced constant criticism. Don't close the mines, they said. You'll cripple the economies of the industrial counties. Or don't funnel money to loyalist paramilitary groups in Northern Ireland. You'll sow the seeds for years of conflict and divisiveness. They'd whinge, but no. I did it all anyway, because it was the right thing to do. Thatcher suddenly turned heel and looked directly into Blair's hollow eyes. But you... You really fucking wanted to go to war with those Yanks, didn't you? And you did. I really must admire you for your iron will, Tony. No, 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 you aren't going to let anything stop you. Not a million demonstrators, not the UN, not a lack of any tangible evidence or contradictory reports and intelligence. You had a gut feeling and you went for it. We may differ in some of our views, but in my eyes, you're a man of conviction. So why am I down here? Yeah, I think that to myself every day. Thatcher crossed her arms and rested her bony fingers on her chin as she began to deliberate on their circumstance. I suppose the things we did that we thought were right were actually only beneficial for a very narrow and select section of society and detrimental to almost anyone else. Let's not kid ourselves, we knew lives would be ruined as a result of our decisions, but we did it anyway, for better or worse. Still, you've got eternity to reflect on it. You'll figure it out sooner or later. She said, waving her arms nonchalantly. Blair begins to sob. Thatcher rolls her eyes, but she tries to comfort the formal Middle Eastern peace envoy anyway. Ah, come on, Tony. It's not so bad down here, really. Though in fairness, I was conceived here, so it is just like home for me. <laughs> I shouldn't really tell you this, but uh, after your first eon, they let you mingle with all the other damned souls before your next eternity. Blair looks up and wipes his eyes. Really? Like who? All the old gang! Half of my party, half of yours. Ronald, Clinton, Cheney, Obama. All your old pals too. Campbell, Murdoch, the Bushes! 
It'll be just like the good old days before all the weirdos took over. George is down here. Sure. Anyone with any real guts winds up down here. There's a members lounge for all the best damn souls. I'm sure they'll let you join. Oh, you just have to meet Pinochet. He's such a good laugh. I, I see, said Tony, composing himself. He gets up to his feet and clears his throat. <clears throat> well, that's okay then, I suppose. Would be good to see all the old boys again. Exactly, that's the spirit. There is, of course, the eon of poetic punishment to get out of the way first, but that'll fly by. Right. Uh, and, and what's that? I don't know, not up to me. But you can tell me all about it afterwards, though. Good to see you again, Tony. Welcome to hell! With that, Thatcher seemed to fade out of existence, and in her place swirled fire and smoke once more. Blair looked around at the horrible screaming void around him. The heat was unbearable, and the constant howling winds deafening. In the distance, through the gases and the filth, he thought he saw another silhouette, that of a small child staggering aimlessly around before it vanished as swiftly as it had appeared. Suddenly, he was hit from above by a brilliant iridescent shaft of beautiful white light. Blair shielded his eyes from the sudden burst of ethereal rays. As his eyes adjusted, he began to perceive some kind of portal, shimmering in the air far above him. Faintly, he heard distant harmonic melodies and vibrations cutting through the howls and roars. Then something struck him on the head with a thud. Blair looked to see what it was, and to his utter amazement beheld a thick hemp rope, strong and good. Blair was overcome with deepest relief and ecstatic joy. This was surely a second chance from heaven. Perhaps the Lord had heard their conversation and realised that he hadn't meant to take quotes from the UN Weapons Inspector's report out of context in his motion to Parliament. It was all just a big misunderstanding. Blair grappled the rope tightly and began to hoist himself with a grunt towards salvation. He saw once again the silhouette of the child, only there were many more this time, and more distinct, ten or twelve small figures slowly emerging from the shadows. Blair wasted no time in trying to figure out what was going on and began to pull himself with all his might up and out of these accursed fathoms. Each pull was a terrible strain on his lanky arms. A life in business and politics hadn't allowed much time for physical acumen, but the roaring flames below drove him onwards, while the radiant assonance above beckoned him forth. Panting and heaving, Blair looked down to see how far he had come, but was met by a bizarre and unseemly sight. Just below him, plain enough, there had formed a congregation of more and more of these children, scores upon scores with more coming through the smoke and fire. The ground below was fast becoming a heaving crowd, and as the nature of these figures began to clarify, Blair was seized by his most violent and profound terror yet. They were Iraqi children, dead Iraqi children, burnt, battered, bruised. Some had been crushed by great weights, others crawled along the floor limbless, Others were little more than burnt-out skeletons, but they were all furious. Through the roaring fires of hell, Blair could hear their pained screams of anguish and vengeance. All of them howled and bellowed with righteous fury and raised their arms as if to tear Blair down back to them. Still more gathered, an army of souls baying for blood. He could see soldiers now too, in British uniforms, shot up and ripped apart as the rest of them. Their chorus of agony and retribution pushed through Blair's pointy ears like a hot needle, till he was forced to break free from his petrified stupor and continue to clamber upwards towards safety. He reached out and grabbed the rope to hoist himself further, but as he did, found his hands sliding back down. Again, he swung his hand upwards but found no purchase. To Blair's horror, 
he realised that not only was he unable to progress up the rope, but that he was actually beginning to slide down it, further and further towards the torment below. It was as if someone had suddenly greased the rope. In fact, it felt exactly like that. Blair looked at the length above him and saw dark streaks of crimson. He opened his palm and saw they were covered in blood. It seemed to materialise right there like a spring until it dripped and trickled down his arms. It made any attempt to scale the rope an impossibility. Blair sighed deeply. <sighs> oh. Very clever. And then, accepting his fate, he let go of the rope and plunged into the mass of vengeful souls below where they had set upon him horribly, tearing at his body, biting, scratching, stripping the skin from his flesh and the flesh from his bones and breaking him down into pieces for now and the rest of time. The end. Nice. Cool. Welcome to Ble Bleeding on the Page. What we've just listened to is Tony Blair's First Day in Hell, which is written by our friend and, you know, a uh, human being, George Pritchard, who's in the studio with us right now. Hello, George. How's it going? It's going very well. Pleasure to be here. We also have Ollie McCauley. Hello. As per usual. It's so lovely to be back. I feel Get like in. I've not been here for a while. Yeah, it's been a while since you've been in the studio. Yeah. How's it feel to be back? I'm so, so excited. Yeah. I love it. This is where I feel at home most. Purpose reignited. Exactly. Without a doubt. So, uh, yeah, George, how, how the hell did this happen? <laughs> how the hell did you come up with the idea of Tony Blair going to hell? Uh, I suppose it's sort of been, you know, uh, sort of 10 years in the making, I guess. Um, the war in Iraq was quite a sort of instrumental event in the like, political awakening, I think. Mm. Like, I was on, I remember one of my earliest memories of anything political uh, was being on a march with a million people-ish in central London. How old were you then? Must have been quite it's young. Been, yeah, it was 2003-ish, so I was like, yeah. Five, six? Something like that, yeah, yeah. a bit older. Um, I didn't really understand it at the time, really. I just knew that there was a big war going on and so, that war was bad. So you've always and had this kind of disdain towards Blair because yeah, of Iraq. Yeah, pretty much. It's like the first time that I started to realise that maybe, you know, the UK isn't exactly the good guys in the world. Mm. Um, it was my first real sense of like injustice as well. So writing this, being able to sort of figuratively banish him to hell has been quite uh, <laughs> arctic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, what, why, why, what sort of got you to just go like, oh, I'm going to just type this out now? Was there anything that happened uh, I don't remember. at the time? I think or was it just something you'd always thought you'd wanted to do? I've been sort of working on it on and off for like maybe a couple of years. So it might have, might have been the Chilcot Inquiry, which came out in 2016. Mm -hmm. I remember I started writing it on just in the notes on my phone on like a really long train journey. <laughs> Um, Deep how training. It started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Has yeah, it has it sort of changed much? You know, from that first idea of Tony Blair um, uh, going to being waking up in hell. I know oftentimes when you when something starts as an idea but ends up on page as the finished product, there can be quite a, a change from the sort of content of the material, the original purpose that you set out to do. Was there any evolution in that for you there, or 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 actually was it very a uh, very direct process for you? It was pretty much direct. I mean, I originally had this. I told this idea of having him kind of be led by Margaret Thatcher through different sort of portals and a kind of Christmas mm. Carol kind of mm. kind of vibe to it. But I thought, I'd watch that. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm not good enough of a writer to. I couldn't be asked. So yeah, I just, <laughs> I just left it in hell. Well, I yeah. think I think you're very good, man. This script yeah. is it was it's loads of fun to perform as well. Yeah, yeah we had a really good time we bringing it together. Yeah. We were yeah, it's great hearing it. it. It's really fun to hear, actually. Yeah. Was there 
when because we we spent a little while on this obviously like we were adapting to the things that we knew we could bring to it was there a, a lot of difference to how you imagined it if you as a radio piece or even just in your head to actually how we've ended up performing it were there any like key changes there um it'd be more interesting if i said yes but no, <laughs> no <laughs> it's, exactly it was pretty fun. pretty much yeah 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 um well it's a lot more fun to hear it read out than it was to, to write it because mm. I, I don't know like whenever i'm trying to write something i just think it's not good enough and, like, and how how long when did you, when would you say you actually started writing when was that something that you when would you first start defining writing as a hobby for yourself um well in my life i guess i've always written like sort of poems and, mm. and things like that i think maybe poetry was the first thing i started out doing um, when was that? What, that? what? What age? I can't remember now. Just very six. young, very young. Yeah, six. <laughs> six. Yeah, something like Around that. the same time Tony Blair went into Iraq. Yeah, 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 yeah. First There's a correlation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, on that march. On that yeah, march. exactly. When he started writing it. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, with you as a writer, what, how if you had to describe, do you think you have a process for how you approach writing? Is there a process for you or do you find it's unique with each project? Like, how, how, do, you do, how do you approach a new writing project when you go in on it? Yeah, I'd say it's pretty, it's pretty unique. Um, I tend to not work on things in one go. I tend to sort of leave it and then come back to it, and it's never it's never usually in one sort of bulk. Cause That's like the opposite to us because we we always just have like deadline project get it out as That's soon as That's the thing. Possible. I kind of wish I, I don't have deadlines anymore. The amount of uni is just like <laughs> yeah. it's just me. Yeah, I'm not very I'm not very good self motivated. And in terms of the content, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the content of this, this is super politically. Uh, uh, super political in terms of themes and content but is that something you work with all the time what are the themes that you find yourself always always come to the forefront when you're writing a, a text or a piece of script um often politics i suppose but sort of maybe um existentialism i'm kind of sort of into that a little bit yeah have you watched rick and morty <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if his iq is big enough yeah but i mean we've got we've got a, a very exciting episode today yeah and because i'm very I... glad to be joined by george who does yeah. know quite a lot about politics because i mean this is definitely going to be a, a politically heavy meaty <laughs> episode because yeah. we after we read this script we just went off and decided to binge like as many like politically themed movies and tv shows as we could um do you do you find that you draw from f films often when you're writing do you use them as do you think you consciously use them as sort of source material to define how you write stories not for this so much but um for film for when I'm writing films definitely yeah yeah because kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. i saw um but I saw this uh, a TV movie called The Trial of Tony Blair. Yeah, I tried to watch. I couldn't find it. It's on it YouTube. Is the only way you can watch it. All right. Well, it didn't it's look in hard parts it's on, on YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. And that has a uh, because that's basically it was made while Tony Blair was still prime minister. But it's sort of like an alternate history kind of story. And uh, basically, he get he get, get gets put on trial for the war in Iraq. And you think it's going to be a whole like trial courtroom drama kind of thing. But it isn't. It's just like Tony Blair being a dick for like an hour. <laughs> like it's him just driving around, and he he's he steps he steps down as prime minister, and then the Labour polls go up, and he's like, "Why has it gone up? <laughs> I am great. Why? Are, why? I am. The, I've made a legacy." And they just keep going. Yeah, but the Iraq thing was pretty fucked. Yeah. And he's like, "I did a lot more than just Iraq, guys." To anyone who like who might be listening and doesn't understand what the Iraq thing is with Tony Blair. Uh, George, do you want to explain what it actually is that took place? Uh, yeah, so essentially there was a big war in Iraq in 2003 with uh, America. And um, 
there wasn't really a good reason to go to war. Weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, allegedly it was to do with weapons of mass destruction, um, which there's no real tangible evidence of. Wasn't that based off like a movie or something? Did it, I yeah. think Richard Curtis talks about that in his uh, hypernormalization. Oh yeah, they? he might have done actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it says yeah. that apparently they just like the weapons of mass destruction. Destruction. There's the description of it is like straight off this like 90s like american b movie <laughs> like, <laughs> and there was like no proof of any like weapons nah. there. And they did the- they did used to have weapons of mass destruction t- t- to be fair but it had all um the un's weapons inspectors found that they'd all degraded beyond use but um yeah he was sort of a bit snidey in the fact that he took certain quotes out to make it sound like they still had it I can't think of any examples now but yeah he's been a little sneaky boy what so a sneaky boy was the real reason sneaky. oil yeah, basically. Was it, <laughs> what? Was it oil? What? <laughs> Everything's about oil, man. That's, that's like, anytime so, someone does anything bad, I'm like, was it oil, though? It's all about oil. <laughs> it's after. all about oil. Everything. Why did you che- Why did you cheat on her? Like, Why did you like break her heart like that? Oil. That was so brutal. What? Oil, man. You did it for oil? Yeah. But how does that even relate to a romantic right, relationship? Right. It's, like, it's so finite. Like, It's so important that we get the oil, man. But this is a girl's heart. You don't understand, playing. man. You're not. You're not. You're not intellectual enough to get the oil. Bro. So that's what Ollie's like all the time. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so weird. My Go straight up get the oil. <laughs> <laughs> my first item is another unofficial trilogy. So me and Sam have a little like thing where we we try and find like films that you could organize in trilogies, but they're not meant to be trilogies. Okay. So nice. Unofficial trilogy. So like last week we had um, the unofficial trilogy. We had were like fake Scorsese ripoff <laughs> films. So American Made, War Dogs, um, Big Shaw, <laughs> Big Shaw. Yeah. All like completely like ripping off Scorsese and so making like this, yeah, I can see that. And this week the the films are the Channel Four TV movie The Deal is the <laughs> first one. Then the second one is the movie The Queen. And then the third one is a TV movie for HBO and BBC <laughs> called The Special Relationship. Oh, I like that they all start with the. That's yeah. good. That's, nice. so That's any, the trilogy. Films which begin with that. Any guess on what the this trilogy, trilogy might be? Have you seen The Queen? Have you, no, I've not seen any of these, unfortunately. You've seen The Deal, Ollie. Yeah, yeah. The Deal, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're basically all written by a guy, the same guy, Peter Morgan, and they are the Tony Blair trilogy. <laughs> so the first one shows how he sort of backstabbed Gordon Brown to get the leader role. The second one's like the death of Princess Diana and him dealing with like the queen. And then the third one's about him and Bill Clinton's relationship. (laughs) Does it actually have a chronology? Yeah. Oh, wow. They directly continue from each one. Oh, but they're completely separate from each other. Yeah, they're completely separate. In terms of production. But they've never been acknowledged as a trilogy, but it's always got the same actor playing Tony Blair, which is uh, Michael Sheen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does do it He's so good. He does it really uh, really good. Me and Ollie watched The Deal last night. Yes. And if you haven't seen The Deal, it's so sick. It is. is (laughs) It's really... I don't know if you'd like it, though, because it kind of shows or... Um, positions Tony Bear as a bit of a rock star. Yeah, a bit of an a underdog. Bit, like a bit of an underdog. He was a rock star. He was in the band. Yeah, he plays the guitar and stuff. Yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Miliband was in a in a band as well. Ed Miliband, yeah. the band. Miliband. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I think Chucka Uma was a, a DJ. Chucka. 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 Yeah, yeah, I mean, why that, do you think there's so many films which are about Tony Blair? Well, it's just these three because other than that, and you've the got trial of the Tony trial Blair. of Tony Blair, which is completely different. The trial of Tony Blair makes Tony Blair look like an absolute asshole. There was also, these three so, movies, they always make Tony Blair seem like a legend, really like nice, great politician. The special relationship kind of hints mm. at him. It ends with Bill Clinton saying to him, 
uh, you know, we worked together for, he said, why would you want to work with a Republican when you're a central left politician? And then he goes, I don't think you are central left anymore. I don't know what you are. That's what <laughs> wow. I really want to oh, talk about the ending. special relationship because it is the weirdest one in this trilogy. Oh, no, I want to see that. It's it. just yeah. Bill Clinton and Tony Blair kind of like, it's kind of like a rom-com movie. <laughs> That's how it's structured. It's got like Tony Blair being like, wow, he's a, he's a, he's a wonderful man. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's frightfully interesting. He's really giving me lots of great advice. <laughs> and Bill Clinton like, yeah. He's a handsome man. Wouldn't you say, Hillary? She's like, well, I wouldn't call him handsome. He's so, like, bro, that's so <laughs> weird. Yeah. Do you reckon? Is it a bit homoerotic then? Do you reckon that's something between that something? Do you reckon something did happen between them? I mean, the three of them. Listen, man. <laughs> like, the whole so, world like, of Blair politics was, like, is a, mad. You know, Blair was like in a cupboard watching, like. You know, if if Bill Clinton was getting on a plane and going out to an island filled with underage women then I don't think it's a huge stretch to think he also had a homoerotic relationship with Tony Blair. <laughs> I, almost, I think, that would be yeah, I think if we've got paedophile island, I don't, think, I don't think it's a huge stretch to also have, uh, you know, a, a homoerotic relationship. Because yeah. the special relationship, the, the main conflict is about Bill Clinton being accused of, like, uh, committing adultery with Monica Lewinsky. And, like, Tony Blair's standing there in front of everyone. They're like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And he's like... I think Bill Clinton's a great man. <laughs> He's a wonderful so good. friend to me. He's so good. <laughs> yeah, it, and I, I think Michael Sheen's performance of Tony Blair is really yeah, great. Yeah, it is but good. The problem I have with the this trilogy is ultimately it's just kind of... it. It's not real. It doesn't feel real to well, me. Well, the thing that I took from the deal is it felt it does feel a bit biased. Yeah. What it, it, it feels very to- pro-Tony Blair. Bit... But I think that's always the, the way, the space that you get in with political movies anyway. Because I was like, I was, I was watching the Iron Lady before I came here as well and you know it's like they ne- you never feel like it goes hard enough you always want them to really like dissect these politicians well, but it goes for everything like Vice as well the Cheney yeah. movie is like yeah. or, but completely going the other way no, it's just like goes, he's yeah, evil yeah. but like it's but it's not but it's not a balanced like profile of any of the politicians it's always like either they're good or they're bad I do yeah. think that like Sheen's performance like if it was it's, it's all about the like, direction and stuff it's about how it's done like that but I think Sheen gets he gets that kind of slightly slimy quality to him gets yeah. that kind he of he does like, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. he says things and he kind of you, That's slightly... you kind of watch him blink a few times before he goes, yes, I, I do agree. He, he definitely <laughs> yeah, captures the slimy that, like, lawyer Like He's definitely always thinking <laughs> about how he hates everyone <laughs> and how he's, how he's just going to fuck them over. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, like, and he I is always fucking him. people over. He, he fucks people That's over in the deal. That's his whole career. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But the Queen is like Princess Diana's death and they like blame it on the like photographers and like what? they have like the royal family well, we, like at this point we know it was an assassination yeah, we, know. <laughs> we, we know we know for a it's fact fact yeah so I mean it's just all a bit disingenuous mm. and like the drama of it is always about it's always a bit like emotional it's a bit drama there's not got enough politics in it for me mm. I think I think the trial of Tony Blair is like that is not political either, but it is just showing Tony Blair to be an arsehole. Which so. you like more. That does sound yeah. fun, though. <laughs> but Iron Lady, you were saying. Well, I wanted to ask yeah. uh, George about, are there any like film politic films that you that resonates partic- particularly with you or you find interesting? Uh, British politics, maybe not so much. Um, yeah, but you can there go was one. There was one uh, Tony Blair thing called... Um, the trial no <laughs> that's what we've just there's a great film called The Trial of Tony Blair have you heard of that <laughs> <laughs> have you guys seen that so it was Comic Strict Presents um, and it's about sort of Tony Blair like um, 
gets done for war crimes and he kind of goes on sort of like a uh, what's the Alfred Hitchcock film the 39 steps sort of uh, yeah kind of chase thing okay yeah, it's pretty good so yeah, what yeah. does he do does he kill people um, <laughs> does he get hanged <laughs> yeah what happens in the film oh, I can't remember it was a long time ago I can't seem to find it but yeah that's like the funny the funniest Blair thing mm. there must be surely yeah because yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I was watching The Iron Lady um which I found interesting, I because I, I was I interested in the Iron Lady because um, it's a theatre director who who actually directed it, um, and she's particularly unique in in the sense that she's always making um, films uh, theatre plays with like women alone. She's very like female centric. The one who did uh, the Shakespeare play with just women, I can't remember her name. Remember. But that's just what she's known. Women. Yeah, it's called Just women. Just for Women. Uh, who's, uh, who plays that show? Um, Meryl Streep Meryl, oh, okay. Meryl Streep plays Thatcher um, and again I, I found that very tonally interesting uh, because it, it doesn't seem it, it does seem to want you to sympathise with Thatcher like quite a lot but it also shows her being a dickhead but it also weirdly frames her dickheadedness like her policies just you see her going like we know this will be best for the country you know just because the, just because the Brits don't want to take their medicine just because the medicine will hurt you doesn't mean it's not good for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the thing with it is as well is like the only way to to make her sympathetic is to just show her as a weird frail woman yeah. mm. who doesn't know what's happening. That's how they incite sympathy for Margaret Thatcher yeah. is they they sh show her losing her memory and so like hallucinating her dead bit, husband. Yeah. So it, sh it shows her like blowing up a boat full of like kids like Argentinian <laughs> children like blow it up and then it comes to her being like oh, oh Harold I can't remember anything oh, <laughs> oh no and the audience is just like oh she was alright yeah yeah, yeah. She, she was alright she was right, a good know. woman she was struggling but, I mean the I would like it just to be starting off young Margaret Thatcher she's gonna get to the top she's gonna you know be the first female prime minister and like a rise and fall kind of thing like mm. you just want it you simple you had so much potential you became leader I quite like everyone was around you and then you started to become more and more like into Reagan and you started selling off the post office selling off the rail the, the station the venom that you, you said Reagan with then was Reagan into Reagan, Reagan. <laughs> Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> closing closing the mines down and then everyone just hating her to go from that I think that would have been such a great movie mm. and then they just littered it with this like really like soft like kind of like frail like oh yeah because we were talking as well like um, of the idea of like British politics be British politic films being almost a genre onto themselves mm. Mm. Uh, because you got that Tony Blair trilogy but you also have like Brexit and Uncivil, Uncivil War yeah. which was like massively published so I think like quite a Do few people might check that out no, check Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch oh yeah I saw I, I saw like a like bit I've seen bits of it because yeah. it's used God, loads it's so like, good it's <laughs> very well made yeah um, but it's interesting they have a really unique tone Mm. to them I mm. can't it's hard to describe it's like rainy days and those all the shots of parliament and stuff are like quintessential but like the the London streets and stuff like that are like really important it's like the it's kind of like the thick of it as well it's it's just like mm. those scenes where yes like, the thick of it it's in just that always space. those scenes mm. of like of like well, he's going to be planning this. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be doing this. Yeah, and all and and it's the power dynamics yeah. that are so unique to British politics that yeah. make it make them really interesting. It's so to old. Watch. Mm. It's like yeah. thousands of years old, and I think that's part of what what makes it so engaging. Yeah. Because I mean, the and because it, it, it's like the English political system is so like I like you say it's so ancient now that it actually means that like politics have to be conducted in England in such like a weird everywhere really, <laughs> but England conducts politics in such a weird way, and all the 
all the dynamics and interpersonal relationships are so like indirect mm. and kind of like you have to communicate through other people you have to take the long way around to take yeah. have any type yeah. of effect and so making films where people are required to do those things I always think like makes such interesting uh, cinematic film uh, like experiences but the US have like their equivalent as well because like mm. US the US have had a real upsurge in kind of like politically cr politically criticizing themselves because obviously like Vice mm. came out <laughs> which was huge. Um, did I, did you guys watch it? Yeah, I loved Vice. You loved it. I hated Vice. Uh, I ne nice. I nearly walked out of Vice. It's like one of the first films I nearly walked out of. What did you like about it? Um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> I think I th so. Uh, firstly, I think it firstly falls into uh, budget Scorsese stylisms, <laughs> which I like uh, find. I no, think that's can not work. The problem with it, though, it's not the problem I with it. I think the problem with it is it's got this real like kind of tone of it of. Actually, like, I do think I do think it ties into the, the problem. These people weren't these people. We didn't know what they were saying in this room, but like they were probably saying something like this, and like this constant. That like, is the budget, yeah, Scorsese. This like, constant, just like of of like breaking up the format to like shove your like shove yourself in there, and it's just it was just so like ADHD kind of like every scene had to be as like loud it, and it felt try hard edgy without being sincere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in my I opinion, saying, what, what do you like about Vice? What worked for you? I just found it fascinating. Uh, I didn't really, really, I didn't really know much about Shaney, so mm. I was just, yeah, it was intrigued to see. See, yeah. I think the best way to learn about Cheney is through Sasha Baron Cohen, who yeah, is yeah. America, <laughs> when he interviews Cheney yeah. and makes him um, sign a waterboard. Because, yeah. like, how did you? Because there's a point in Vice where they cut to an image of a, like a leopard taking a deer down, and it's like completely out of focus. <laughs> This is fun. <laughs> Have you seen? Uh, what, did you see the big short? You saw the big. Yeah, short, I right? saw the big short. The big short. I'm. I'm, 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 I'm like much that. happier. Yeah. To, I think that's still think budget Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> it's still budget Scorsese, but I, I am. I, I much. I like the big short better because I think it's it's better written. Like I don't even think uh, that guy, the narrator, annoyed me so much. Why am I telling you this story? You'll because I am later. Cheney's heart. That's the. T is, is that a joke? No. No. Oh no, my no, God. The narrator. The narrator is a guy who got hit by a car, and then his organ was given to Cheney's. Yeah. So Cheney, he had a heart transplant. He was the heart that Cheney right. got in a so heart transplant. So I was transplant. kind of like slightly like interested to watch this, but that is. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? It is a genuine I, I, moment wow. where he goes, no. "Why am I narrating this to you?" <laughs> and then oh, he, like, that, made, that, that makes me a little bit sick in my own mouth. Like, yeah. That's awful. Yeah, but it's, let's it's, not put it down George. If George likes it, yeah, you can well, like George it. Yeah, you can like what you think. It's calm. It's, I mean, Let the viewers can, decide. Yeah, I, mean, I think the acting, the acting is amazing in Vice. Yeah. the acting is really good. And I think that US versus UK political thing. The best way of looking at that is House of Cards because there's a UK season, but no one knows it. And I feel like I'm the only one who's seen this. A couple UK. of episodes. I wasn't really into it. Oh man, I love it so much. What US or UK? Uh, UK. Because I saw a lot of US House of Cards mm. um, before Kevin Spacey was a paedophile. Uh, <laughs> no, not before he was a paedophile. Before he got. Before I found, found out, out he was yeah. a paedophile. He was always a paedophile. Sorry, yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I did enjoy it though. Yeah, I but mean, do you think the UK the UK House of Cards is stronger? It's very different. Like it's really really different. It's so slow. 
the UK House of Cards is like the slowest thing, and like the music is just this like orchestra, like like, and there's like oh long walking shots, and then like long conversations. That but sounds like, terrible. No, but it's <laughs> that's just 70s, bro. Yeah, it's 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 old though. It's like old. Oh, yeah, okay. old TV. It loves yeah. showing you like people and answering the, the phone. The main character is this like really like str- this like backbench like Tory, mm. and he like works his way up to being prime minister, and then the second season is when there's a new king crowned and he starts doing speeches that are like a different to his and they start like locking they start getting into an argument that sounds interesting Um, and it yeah I mean I think I think it's amazing I think it's some of the best TV I've ever seen but that's it's really politically Mm. dense it's very politically dense is it better than the thick of it? Um, I mean no I mean the thick of it works better as a comedy but as a serious drama no but yes or no is it better or worse than the thick of it in my opinion yeah I think it is better than the thick of it what you said about the score has made me a little bit worried though oh that's a big thing for me when it comes to no you'll like it I think do you think I'm going to like it you'll probably yeah you like Nicky's show there's those shows that aren't even that good but the score is good and I'm like oh this is a great show it's not a show that you watch with other people basically you just watch it on your own you watch it on your own sad and a bit drunk that's cool. Man. I don't know why. I'm trying to think of films that I've watched on my own, sad and a bit drunk. I think one. Of I watched was, a really good western. I watched. Uh, I think I watched uh, the campaign with Will Ferrell. <laughs> <laughs> Political. I, wa- I watched. <laughs> a- I watch any movies by Will Ferrell. Yeah, on Adam my, Sandler. Uh, I don't watch stuff. anyone else, but I do have a weird obsession with them. So they I are, they are like so stupid. Like, well, it's so. I have always. Have, I don't know if I've spoken about this on the podcast, but I like strongly believe that like Will Ferrell movies always have like one moment in them, which are which I. Are, are like past the threshold weird they're like too <laughs> odd and I don't understand how they could have been approved to be put in these films which in the I get the sense are meant to be commercial in the campaign Will Ferrell punches a baby yeah and a dog and like <laughs> and he, just punches, he just like punch. he, right but the thing is when he punches a baby it's like a slow motion shot and you watch this yeah. soft baby's head become a crescent yeah, you get yeah, punched he goes a full peanut yeah. head yeah. then he's like and it's oh. like why is that in the film and then in like Get Hard there's a sequel where Will Ferrell joins like a gang, a black gang in America, and st- and wears a beanie where he calls himself Mayo and keeps calling t- talking in gang slang. Uh, because it's and so it's funny. like it's always a bit yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's well. funny though because the this week a Netflix original came out which is all about politics. It's <gasps> called The Politician. So oh me yeah, I've seen that, that. Um, advertisement. Though, is it is it any good? Like. So yeah, I mean, me and Sam have been digesting it. It's an mm. odd one. Uh, I do want to give it a watch because so, it looks so kind of interesting. It's made by um, Brad Falchuk and Ian Brennan, who did wow. uh, American Horror Story and Glee uh, and Glee. Oh, and Glee. Oh, that's sold. Right. Well, they did American <laughs> Horror Story and Glee. Yeah, <laughs> and that's, and that that's makes that's loads of sense if yeah. you watch The Politician. Yeah, yeah. Who's the, who's they've the also added another creator in as well who they haven't worked with before in terms of a showrunner and that's got a guy called ryan murphy who uh who who made screen screen queens oh and wrote a load of glee episodes so i think the politician very very camp very it's, camp it's very there camp, are genuine yeah. sequences as well there are genuine song sequences in it they really? do they put song performances what, yeah, sometimes just out of nowhere like a, and you can spend three minutes like watching a song that doesn't yeah. progress plot there's a guy and it's like, just because they like, music. like a musical theater performer I swear the guy that's the main dude. So the yeah. ma- the guy's the main dude has been in um, uh, in the Book South of Mormon. Book of Mormon, yeah. Yeah. Who, what was his name? 
I can't remember his name. Yeah, I can't remember either. But, yeah, he's, I feel like yeah. I've recognised him. And he's really good in it as well because yeah. the, the politician basically follows a kid um, who's like, uh, he's a career politician. He's been, uh, well, he's in high school. He's so, a, yeah. yeah, he's in high school, mm. but he fancies himself as a career politician. He, he thinks he's president. a psychopath. He wants to be the president of the of, of America. And he's trying to get into Harvard. And to get into Harvard, he needs to win the like, election, in the, the high school election to be like no, class president. that's not what happens. Yes, it <laughs> no, it's not. He's trying to. He wants to get into no, Harvard, and it relies on him getting to get into Harvard. Yeah, because he. Yes, no, he does. He wants to be president because every. No, he every, needs to be class president to get no, into yeah, Harvard. Yeah, he wants to be class president because loads of other presidents have been class president. To get into Harvard, he just needs to give them money. Like they don't give a shit about him being class no, no, president. No, but he wants to get in. No, they do because he they, doesn't get into Harvard because he. That's because the rumors comes out. <laughs> All right, trust me, I know this. <laughs> okay yeah basically he will yeah he ju he's just spent his whole life trying to be the president and now he's for the first time he's actually running a campaign to be high school president so it's like a high school american like kind of comedy, comedy thing but then thing. with po politics at its core as well mm. and it's really camp and the whole theme of it is authenticity and about when people are being authentic and when they're being fake. Because you could sort of accuse every character in this show as being a sociopath because of how little they actually care about other people and how everyone is just using each other. It's just politics, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah. is also really funny. It's, it is very, fun it's very funny. It's very funny. It's interesting because it 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 sort of walks the line. It's kind of it doesn't it, the main character. He's never positioned politically within the story clearly, um, and it it kind of sells like politics as being entirely apolitical and being completely like about like serving like what will get you success and where you will how to like climb up the ranks of like status essentially, um, and uh, like them playing with that and those kind of that like a politicality of it is like what makes it really interesting because it's like all these characters without morals serving themselves entirely and there's so many like political like sequences that are like really funny just because of how dark they are like he has like a weird like uh romance with the most popular guy in high school but they're both like meant to be straight <laughs> but essentially like they don't care about sexuality like their sexuality isn't relevant to them they're not there to label each other but then the guy he slept with starts running for president and he just comes in and goes if you fucking run like i'm gonna tell everybody that we fucked each other i'm gonna <laughs> tell everyone that you're just gay and no one will vote for you and this guy's like i'm actually like really depressed like i'm not <laughs> happy he's like, i don't care like no one cares about their emotions there's a moment where he's with his girlfriend and he's like could you be more like honest with me could you be more sincere she's like okay yeah i'll try and pretend to be more sincere with you and he's like no I, I want you so it, it's weird you see that the parts of glee that are there the kind of glee aspects because it everyone is very camp it's, it's kind of got a, it's kind of got its thumb on kind of the nature of young people today yeah, and how yeah. they perceive like politics exactly um it's, but it's, it also has that American horror story vibe where it's kind of like completely doesn't care about, like wants to like shock you as well and disturb you. So, so what this show sort of conventionally would have is a character who's the everyman. He's mm. just a normal person from a broke school. And he's like, oh, I met all these rich kids who are well into politics and now my life has completely changed. They're all wacky, but I like them. <laughs> but it, there isn't that character. So you just start off in this really insane world and there's no one you can relate to at all. And you're watching it and you're not even sure if you're watching a comedy, really. And actually, there are times where me and Max are like, 
is that like supposed to be fun? Like we we genuinely can't figure out when it's trying to be funny and when it's trying to be sincere because all of it is ridiculous because the characters are so over the top. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would really it, recommend it, it, it. To be it's, honest, it's, I think it's great. It's a weird thing because you're you don't. It's really hard to grasp whether you feel like the showrunners want you to like their protagonist or dislike them. You're not sure whether you're meant to be on board, whether you're meant to find their mannerisms like funny and cool or whether it's actually meant to crease you because like sometimes mm. I'll just really cringe at the show and I don't know if they're making me cringe consciously or if they're yeah. just like too enwrapped in what they're, they're doing. Because they're just like rich, like young yeah. kids who are just like really weird. Because my first impression of the show when I started watching it was just like, this is just all about like making rich kids seem really cool and trendy and like with it. And that like puts me off massively because it's like that Made in Chelsea vibe where it's just like dickheads like being portrayed as like heroes and I can't bear that. Yeah. But then... At the same time, they're so deplorable. <laughs> but it also like shows them in such a, a good way as well mm. <laughs> that it's, it becomes really hard to judge. You can really analyze the show on rewatches. Yeah. I, I do think it's a great piece of art, and I, I do recommend it. Now, final item is George. Your surname is Pritchard, right? <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about a show that I saw yesterday, the whole season, called The Amazing Mrs. Pritchard. I've not heard of that. No. <laughs> so The Amazing Mrs. Pritchard was made in 2009 and it's about a woman who's the manager of a greengrocer's store in Northern England uh, and she's really great and everyone likes her in the shop. And then there's a political debate that happens outside the greengrocer's, two MPs who are running, start arguing, they start fighting, Labour and Conservatives. And she gets up and she breaks up the fight and she says to the camera, she's like, this is ridiculous. I could do better than this. And then what follows is she runs for MP. And within the same election, she starts her own party. And within the same election, she becomes prime minister. <laughs> so it's about a normal middle class mum. No, not even working class, northern woman who doesn't know anything about politics being elected prime minister of the UK and going into... <laughs> the Houses of Parliament debating, coming up with policies and going up with all the political stuff. Is it good? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I've, literally, it's a gem. It's a wonderful gem. <laughs> yeah, I've not heard of it. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's what I find so funny about it is it is literally just like a mum who's <laughs> prime minister and she's going around being, like the first thing she becomes prime minister, they're like, Oh, there's a there's like a terrorist action happening in Iran. We've got like four British officers who have been like kidnapped, and she has to like she has to like actually use her like powers as a store owner, like <laughs> manager and greengrocers to kind of like understand and go through the world. And she makes up policies such as every Wednesday, no one's allowed to drive their cars like to <laughs> save <laughs> to save on climate change. Nice. I'm just glad there's another good uh, political Pritchard out there yeah, to counteract yeah. uh, Mark Pritchard, the yeah, horrible yeah. Tory MP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even now, even. <laughs> yeah, because it's uh, like each episode's an hour, so it's like a six-hour-long like <laughs> kind of drama, political drama about that sounds this. Sounds amazing. <laughs> I still stand by the fact that actually the be the best political film that's hap that's out at the moment is like 
UK Parliament as it is right now. <laughs> I think that's the best yeah. viewing you can get. Yeah, the best television TV. that you can I'm get. I'm so glad they brought it back. I know, so like... good. They cancelled it for a bit, yeah, but now it's... Right, it's so good. I love watching all of the like, House of Commons stuff. I remember watching yeah. Boris's first thing, yeah. first address in the House of Commons and I was like, yeah, I man. was crying. Like It's so funny. If, like... if, if, if no one's ever watched like UK Parliament right now, because it's all <laughs> up on YouTube, you can just go watch that shit on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, but it is a room full of people insulting each other constantly and occasionally people standing up and making speeches which are just geared to insult other people, either <laughs> Corbyn or uh, Boris, basically. <laughs> and it's the best. It's it the best. It is really good. I, really well, like I mean, it's them. just like the insults at the moment are the strongest they could ever be because yeah. everything is so extreme. The yeah. vitriol's like, turned like up. Before, like, you could insult like Cameron or like Miliband or whatever, but like this time... Boris has like immediately come in and like <laughs> broken laws, <laughs> like yeah, multiple yeah. laws, and yeah. then accused of That's groping. Yeah. yeah, he has. Who's he been accused of groping? Because um, Katie Hopkins, she came out and was like, "Did you see the tweet that Katie no, Hopkins who? put out about Boris?" Is like, if he groped me at twenty, I still wouldn't clean that thigh. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, uh, that woman. Yeah. Why, and that, right, if there's ever a sequel to this, like with her a selfie thing, of Boris, is it Tony Blair's like? Five millionth day in hell, then he needs to welcome the Katie Hopkins yeah. in. Oh, yeah, that's no, no, the, ne the next one should be uh, Tony Blair welcoming Boris in. And welcoming Boris, that would yeah. be do like Cameron. Really do Cameron, Cameron, yeah. yeah. I don't know, I didn't mention Cameron in the big list of people that are in hell. Yeah, maybe yeah. he's not dead yet. Maybe yeah, maybe he's still alive. I feel like Cameron weirdly would pull through. And I feel like he could live there. for like a long time. Like, <laughs> you know, in some weird way. But Cameron, like... Cameron's such a cheeky boy because like he came in <laughs> and fucked like. Oh. It's gone completely dark it's in our gone recording all dark. studio. Damn. Nice. Have we had a power cut, Jack? No, the computer's on. Oh, okay. Are we shutting down? Well, um... <laughs> <laughs> what an interesting okay. ending. Yeah, so <laughs> we're in pitch black. Oh, and... not quite. But yeah. But yeah, uh, thank you so much uh, for, for <laughs> coming in, George. No yeah. worries. And yeah. letting us perform the script. It was yeah. a lot of fun. That was good. Yeah, it was fantastic. We're, we're, it's completely dark now. So The amazing Mr. Pritchard. <laughs> but that was a great great script, man. Thank you so much for bringing it in. We really appreciated it. Uh, it was great doing the podcast. If you liked it, uh, leave a comment, send us an Please, email. Uh, give us some more uh, money. Subscribe we onto can't the podcast. afford power anymore. Yeah. 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 Studio 71 has run out of electricity. So, uh, we will need a lot of help here. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. I uh, really appreciate um, it. Email in as well at, nitpick, uh, at inquiries at nitpicks.co.uk. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.